As you're turning to John 8, a couple things. Uh, I want to review a little bit. Uh, last few weeks we've discussed this uh, topic. I think is pretty... Is it too high? Is that too loud? You got a question? Okay. Okay. Let me see if I can pull that in, Mr. Stewart. Okay. Uh, but I want to talk to you about one thing real quick here first, as we've talked about the last few weeks about grace as pardon and power. Just wanted, this is a little bit of a test for you, okay? Just that we talked about last week about grace being power, and we participate in grace as power through the means of grace, not spiritual disciplines, but means of grace. And uh, you've already experienced a couple of those today. What, what means of grace have you already experienced today? Prayer? We talked about that, didn't we? We just experienced some of the means of grace in prayer. How, what other means of grace have you already participated in today? Some of, you, some of you in the chapel service have already participated in the Lord's Supper, didn't you, today? This morning? Good. So that's two. What else? What, what other means of grace? I'm just trying to make sure you got this in your head. What other means of grace? God's typical way of, of putting grace into our lives. What other one? Huh? Reading what? Greeting. Okay, what is that? What means of grace is that? What? Yeah. Christian fellowship or being together with other fellow followers of Jesus. We talk about that. Wesley called it Christian conference or being with other. So we, and, and then we're going to, right now, we're going to look into God's word in chapter eight, uh, if you will, about uh, this, uh, some of these other ideas about uh, Jesus and our life. So, so we've already experienced four or five of these. I just want to keep your mind in gear. I know you've slept since we met. Uh, sometimes I ask Becky on Sunday morning, I say, what did I wear last week? And she goes, Nobody cares. <laughs> okay? So I don't remember what I wore last week. Uh, so I have to get my notes in front of me sometimes uh, to remember if a story that I told. Uh, but anyway, I, I just want to keep that in your mind that, that we're not just doing these things because these are things good Christians do and, and things that, that people do. We do them in anticipation of, in confidence of, that these are means of grace whereby God pours into our life His empowering presence uh, to be able to do that. So, uh, I want to uh, uh, move us on uh, today here in this idea on the conversations of Jesus. Now, Stuart has just uh, raised the issue here how Jesus, it will, you will, at the end of, of chapter, or in chapter 8, verse 11, in dealing with this woman, the short answer is this. No rabbi would ever talk to a woman by themselves. That was completely against their law couldn't talk to a woman by themselves. Uh, certainly not a woman of ill repute <laughs> uh, in that regard. And you see throughout the Gospels that Jesus is in fact changing some of the, if you will, religious mores of how you deal with people. Uh, you don't talk to non-Jews. You don't talk to women. Uh, you don't uh, participate in other things with sinners, if you will. It's a very structured culture. I mean, there's rules and regulations about who you talk to, who you eat with, who you don't eat with. And Jesus has pretty well taken some of these things apart, I think partially because Jesus knows and understands that all human beings are created in the image of God. Every human being is created in the image of God. And there is this in, in, intrinsic value and worth that every person has. Now, I, I think I come back on that a little bit more, uh, Stuart, in a bit, because I want to talk about in this idea of this conversation at the end there in verse 12. 
where at the end of that discussion, Jesus spoke to them again. These are religious leaders and people. Religious leaders. And He said, I am the light of the world. And so we're going to look at this idea of uh, this conversation with Jesus in this profound statement, I'm the light of the world. I'm the illumination, if you will, of the world. And if you know anything about the Gospel of John, you know that Jesus makes these kinds of statements, I am, seven times. We've already looked at one of them in chapter 7. I am living water. Now, I am the light. And He'll continue these phrases throughout the Gospel of John about I am. And if you remember, uh, you, you may remember that the, this uh, refers to the great sacred name of God in the Old Testament, which is what? I am. Yahweh, or Vayahi, I am. And so Jesus is making some powerful statements here about life and reality. So I want us to look at that. I am the light of God. Now, I'm, I'm the light of the world. There's a couple of things here just to prepare you, perhaps. I'd like to, to think ahead. We're going to be working the next uh, several weeks, I think, between here and 10, chapter 10. And there are several things that I think that Jesus illuminates, not the least of this matter about how He has dealt with people, particularly this woman caught in adultery. But Jesus is going to deal with and bring the light to some really big subjects in my, in my view. And I've been working through them and looking at them. These are huge. These are huge ideas that Jesus is going to be working. Let me, let me give them to you real quick and you can come back. We'll look at some today. But Jesus is going to shed some light on judging Jesus is going to shed some light on opportunity. Jesus is going to shed some light on freedom. Jesus is going to shed some light on reality. Jesus is going to shed some light on suffering. We'll get to chapter 9 with this great story where they, the disciples asked Jesus about a man who is blind. He says, did he sin or did his parents? Jesus is going to shed the light on this huge question about suffering. And then some other matters like that. So we're going to look at this. So Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, again, Jesus is making a radical statement here. Let, let, let's think about this. Uh, light. Uh, you know, the ancient world is a pretty dark place. I, I don't know if you've uh, been to the, you know, you, you didn't grow up in the ancient world. Some of you may have uh, in the ancient world. A couple of you, I think, you know, before the typewriter. But... But the ancient world was a dark place because of the lack of, of if you will, artificial lighting. Um, you know, when, when I first, uh, I probably told you, when I first met Becky and we went home to Kansas and we left civilization at Liberal. And uh, really, we stop there. Every time we go home, I say, can I just go to a store? I'm not kidding you now. I'll go to a place where there are people and uh, there are things before we go out there. Because it is 25 miles from the closest town. Dave Fatkin in Eden graciously uh, showed up at Becky's dad's funeral several years ago. And they got lost out in the middle there. And David said this to me. Cliff, I used to think you were kidding about this was the end of the earth. But it's not. It really is the end of the earth. The thing that was so fascinating to me was how many stars I could see. We were living in Houston where there's artificial light everywhere where there's light and sound like that. And we get out there, and I mean from that horizon to that horizon, nothing but stars, nothing, and, and, and uh, just everywhere because of no artificial. That's the world that Jesus was in, a world that didn't have a lot of light, 
a world that didn't have a lot of artificial lighting, if you will. And when Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, he's talking about something that everybody wants. I, I did a little research on this. Just I don't know if you know it or not, but light has been found or, or, or bowls or ways to produce light as far back as 70,000 B.C. on March the 3rd. And uh, <laughs> yeah, they got it. I mean, they nailed it. They said but up, you know, 70,000 years ago, people were building these little things to place bowls to put stuff into to cause light. It was only in the 18th century that a central burner was finally invented by a Swiss chemist named Ami Argand. I'm probably tearing his name up. With a circular wick surrounded by a glass chimney. That was 1783. That's the first time that that thing had begun. Humphrey Davy, an English chemist. All these chemists, I guess, are, don't have anything else to do. I know a couple of chemists. They, they don't do much anyway, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, he invented the first electric light, uh, 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 Humphrey Davy, that connected two wires to a battery that produced light. And you know Thomas Alva Edison and, you know, all, all the other electric light bands and all that. You know those guys, um, ELO. And I need to stay on this right now, okay? I know, this is good. Um, that light was something that people had to produce or had, and it, and it wasn't in great abundance, uh, and so when Jesus says this, I'm the light of the world, it was a dark world. I, I think it was dark physically. You know, you know there, there was not a lot of light. It was dark spiritually. There were people groping to understand who is God and what is He like and who does He care about and those kind of matters. In addition to that, Jesus is making a radical statement here in this regard. In the Old Testament, God speaks of Israel and says, I'm making you a light to the nations. That, that word there, nations, is, if you will, world, or ethnoi in, in Greek, that, that when God said to the children of Israel, I'm making you a light to the nations, Jesus seems to be taking that thing over and saying, I'm it, not you. And I, I, I think the air conditioner, they're trying to make it snow in here this morning, so... Uh, I'm not sure. I think if we close the door, I don't know. It gets cold. Anybody cool? Yeah, well, we're trying to keep you awake <laughs> and make some stuff. Yeah. So um, anyway, so Jesus is taking this idea over that had been part of a nation. This nation is thought, we're the light of the world. We're the, we're the ones that are the light to all the nations. Now Jesus said, no, that's me. I'm the light. And I want to look at a couple of things here today about that. He's the light on judging. If you want to see the light, here, here's the light. And this is found here, if you will, in 13. I'm going to read these words here. So the Pharisees said to him, you're testifying about yourself, and your testimony is not true. Even uh, Jesus answered and said to them, even if I do testify by myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. But you do not know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I am, I am not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true. I am not alone in what I am the Father who sent me. Even in your law has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am to testify about myself. The Father who sent me testified about me. So they were saying to him, where is your Father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father. In these words, he spoke in the treasure as he taught in the temple. And no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Now, now, one of the things I see here that Jesus is bringing to light in this conversation 
is the truth or the light on judging. Now that word scares us, doesn't it? We, we, we know that Jesus said don't judge. And, and I have a friend that says, you know, whenever you get into this kind of judging attitude, it's hard not to be judgmental. You notice that? When you start judging, you know, you say, well, I'm, you know, I'm just inspecting the fruit here. I'm just, you know, making aware of what's happening. No, there, there, there's something here that it's difficult to judge without becoming judgmental. And I think Jesus identifies this here. There's a couple of things here that it seems to me in, in this light. Uh, it seems, I'm just, I'm going to tell you what I think here. And by the way, uh, I'm trying to do too many things. I've got, a, I've got a, a survey open if you want to go to it. It's Socrative.com. And when you get there, I've disabled it. It's 50168. I know some of you have questions and things. I'm going to have this open and running. Uh, if you have them, if you want to ask, uh, we can do that. But it seems to me that this uh, matter, so I've got it here. Here we go. You don't have to, I've disabled your name, so I don't, I'm not interested in who that is. But Jesus seems to be stating something here is this. That the truth about judging, if you will, requires, in his statement here, testimony from his Father. Notice he says, I judge, but I don't even judge that the Father who sent me judges. So there are the one I am who testifies about myself, and the Father testifies about me. I think there's a principle here that in judging that there is a spiritual awareness that has to take. See, these guys, these Pharisees, all they ever do is just judge what they see. Notice here in verse uh, 15, you judge according to the flesh. You, you, you judge what you see. Jesus is saying, I judge and my Father judge because we don't just judge what we see. I think it's a terrible tendency in me and it may be in you that when we think or we judge that all we do is see the outside of people. Do you notice that? You know that? that? That all we do is we see the outside, what people are doing. This is what Jesus is saying. You judge according to the flesh or what you can see. And I can tell you this, and, and you probably know this, that one of the real difficulties in judging or dealing with this topic is that when we judge people and all we see is the outside, we often make terrific mistakes, don't we? Have you ever done that? Where, where, where you are just absolutely devastated because you thought somebody was doing something for a certain reason and you find out just the other. Jesus said, I, I don't judge according to the flesh. I, I don't just look on the outside, if you will. It's wonderful tendency that, that Jesus is able to understand our heart and what's going on with us. Over the years, I've looked at this and I thought, okay, you judge according to the flesh. Cliff, what, what does that mean? Well... That all I'm doing is noticing what I can instead of trying to understand what's the person going through. You, you notice that? Do you, do you notice that in you? That all you see is behavior. I want to give you a technique in dealing with people. Now, this is a thorny issue about judging because Jesus says, I've got the ability to do this. You don't. You only see the outside. You, you can't tell what's really going on inside of a person. Uh, There's some other things we may have to look at, but just, just suffice to say there. I've learned over the years a, a, a kind of a way, in deal, so I don't get in trouble over this. I, I don't know about you, but I, I got, I've had times when I thought I knew what people were doing and I found that they weren't. Anybody with me on that? You ever made mistakes like that? With your kids. 
You know, you, you, you know, you thought your kid was doing something wrong and, and uh, you, you jumped all over them and you judge what you saw on the outside. And then they handed you a cookie and said, but I just did this to get this. And you go, yeah, don't do that again. <laughs> you know, you're, you're embarrassed. How do you how, how do we how do we fix this? I call it confrontation through confusion. You ever heard of this? Confrontation through confusion. I'm not saying that we can... Here's what We can't go through life without noticing what people do. Can we? We And we're not Jesus, so we don't have all information like His Father. But we can't go through life and not notice anything, can we? If your kid's dragging a rattlesnake, you go, Hey, that's wonderful, you know. I mean, you got to make some judgments here, don't you? Do we have to determine at times, Hey, this is good or this is bad? If we don't, we call that what? Enabling? But how do we keep from judging just according to the flesh what we see. And we don't take the time to figure out. I, I do this. I, I, I call it confrontation through confusion. I'll go to a person and say, hey, I need your help on something. Can, can you help me with something here? I noticed this or this or this or this. Or, or I noticed this or this or this. That when you did that, it, it confused me because... I know you're a follower of Jesus or I know that you have said you love this job or I know that you say that, that you think the Dallas Cowboys are great, which, you know, would call into question. You know, you say something. You know, you know what that does? It gives them the opportunity to tell you what's going on. I will just tell you this. I've used this over and over again with people to say, help me understand what you did here. Instead of me, what I do like these guys, according to the flesh, you know what I do? I automatically judge what they've done. I automatically come to a conclusion. I know why you did this. I know why you operated this way. I know why you said this. I know why you acted this way. Instead of saying, help me understand. Help me understand. Now see, Jesus already knows it. He and His Father already know this. We don't. Our problem is we judge like these guys according to the flesh. I challenge you, the next time you've got to see that you see something going on and and you have concerns about it, that you don't just say, well, I'm, I'm not going to say anything. Because I don't want to be judging. I don't want to be judgmental. What about if you use confrontation through confusion and say, help me understand what you just did? That It, it doesn't make sense to me. I'm, I'm not that smart. I mean, you're not trying to be flippant with them. But you're trying to ask them, help me to understand. So Jesus, I think here, helps us with this terrible tendency that all we do is judge the, the actions. What does the Bible say? Man looks on the outward appearance and God does what? Looks at the heart, doesn't he? God looks at the heart. I, I think this is the only reason at times that Jesus might be able to still work with people because he has that ability to judge that isn't just on the flesh or the outside. He's able to see the inwardness of people. So let's look at it this way. What if this week, what if you and I admitted our tendency to judge only the actions of people and determined to listen to a person's story as to why they might be acting the way they are. You know, we don't know. If we only judge according to the flesh, then the only thing we ever see is what's available to our eyes. We don't know what's really going on. And I will tell you this, in my experience at least, is this. I have never seen, I have never seen this fail. I have never seen this fail. Anytime I've asked it with people, they've always said, well, let me explain to you why I did this. Or I've had people say this, 
you know what? I am so sorry that I did that. I don't know what's going on with me. I don't know why I decided to do that. I don't know what's happening with my mind, but it just didn't work. Now, here's a couple of questions here. I, the first question is, is what's missing in this discussion we're talking about? Because this is a big deal, isn't it? Judging. The idea of judging. Do, do you ever struggle with this? Do you ever struggle with judging others or being judged? Somebody says, Jesus says he passes judgment on no one, and he immediately says, but if I do judge, comes across as a contradictory. Like, uh, okay, that's good, all right. Okay, who said that? No, no. Uh, uh, that idea is saying this. Look, I didn't, I think what Jesus is saying is, I did not come into the world to judge. That's not my job. That's not what I'm doing. That's not, remember he said that, and God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world or to judge the world, but to save it. But by his very presence and by his very activity, there's judgment that's going on, right and wrong. You know, I, I think I may have told you a story, you know, that years ago there was a, some guy that had made some money through a quick means and decided that he would go and visit Europe and went to the Louvre or Louvre or however you pronounce that thing. Um, and he's walking through, you know, he's got some newfound money and he thinks he's pretty smart and, and he's walking through there and he... He looks at, um, you know, a couple of paintings and, and the, the guide is taken through there and, and he, he sort of in a huff says about the Mona Lisa, well, that's, that's not that good of a painting. I've seen better. He's probably from Texas, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've seen better. I've seen better. And, and, the, and the guide basically said, sir, uh, the judgment has already been passed as to whether this is a wonderful picture or not. You're judging yourself. So I don't know if it's a contradiction there. The Pharisees jump on it. But I think Jesus is trying to say, look, this is not why I came. Why did the Son of Man come? To seek and to save those who are lost. I think he's simply saying, this is not what I'm about, but because I'm here, there is judgment occurring. There is judgment occurring because of that. That's a great question. I'm going to keep working here. So this idea of that because that, and he says, but even if I do judge, even if I were to, my judgment is true. I'm not alone in it. But I am the Father who sent me. The Father is the one who has sent him to be who he is, and this causes judgment to be in the world because of his presence. But he said, even if I do, even if I do, my judgment is true, even in your law. Notice what he says. The testimony of two men is true. And you remember in Deuteronomy, you can't convict anybody on the testimony of one person. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true because my, I, myself I judge and the Father. I and the Father testify about myself who sent me. So they were saying to him, where is your Father? He said, you don't know him. So this matter in judgment. Let, I, I wanna move. That's a good question. I, I'm just going to give you my answer there. Here we go. Number two. The light on opportunity. Look at 21. And then he said to them, I go away and you'll seek me and you'll die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below. I am from above. You're of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. So they, let me see here. So they kept, so they, they were saying to Him, or they kept this matter going. So they were saying to Him, Who are you? 
And Jesus said to them, What I've been saying to you from the beginning, I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but you, but he who sent me is true in the things which I've heard from him, and these things I speak in the world. Notice here up to verse 30. Therefore they did not realize he was been speaking to them about the Father. Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, you will know that I am He, and I do nothing of my own initiative. But I speak these things that the Father taught me, and He who sent me is with me. He has, left me, he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. Notice here, Jesus saying, there's going to be a time here now when you're going to seek me and I'm not going to be here. You'll know later, He said, when you lift me up. I wonder about this idea here, about what Jesus is saying here, is this matter about opportunity. You know, when I was thinking about this and looking, he says, I'm going, you can't come, you're going to seek me someday and you won't be able to find me. Jesus obviously speaking about his death and resurrection and his, second, and his going back to the Father. But is this idea here to say to them, you need to make a decision now. You need to act now. You know, I, I, when I was thinking about it, I thought about this, this idea. Uh, you see the the movie The Bucket List? Anybody see that? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a movie about some guys that get terminally ill. And, uh, you know, they decide they're going to do some things they've always wanted to do. And uh, not wait around any longer. And the movie follows the script of them doing things they wanted to between these two guys. But I asked myself when I was writing that, I thought, why do we have bucket lists? Because we often don't take the opportunity to do things we ought to do now. Right? I mean, you know, when, when it says in this, this movie, you know, my dad would say, you know, uh, we're all terminal. We just have a different uh, expiration date. <laughs> you know, we're all got it, you know. Uh, this is my yearly time of medical tests, and I always go to the doctor like this, you know. And uh, the, the idea, though, but we have bucket lists because we decide we're going to wait before we do this. We're going to wait. Jesus seems to be, to be talking about something here about opportunity. Uh, about the opportunity to do something now. He said, you're going to see me. You won't find me. He said, unless you believe that I am He, you're going to die in your sins. You're, you're going to die in your sins. Unless you believe that I am He. If you're going to take the opportunity now to believe. I tell my students this all the time. I believe there are two terrific tools that the devil uses in this particular area. To believe that I am He to put your faith and confidence in Jesus. Here are the two tools the devil uses all the time. Number one, wait. Wait. Just wait. You know, you got plenty of time. And I think sometimes that we think we need to wait till we get all the information that we need. Can I tell you something? I imagine if you're like me, I'm already way educated above my obedience level. Anybody with me? Do you already know more than you're doing? I do. You know, so, but, we, but we think we can wait. We can prolong it. We, we can wait. That's why we have a bucket list because we don't think, let's do it now. We got time to do it. Let's do it now. With Jesus here of saying, look, do you believe in me? Do you, do you believe me? Do you believe that I am He? This word here of this idea, if you will, of incredible understanding that I'm the Messiah. I'm the one. I'm the one that you need to respond to. The second tool the devil always uses, seems to me, is this. this. This is subtle. It's part of this. You're the exception. You're the exception. You, you don't really have to be too concerned about this, about believing in me or trusting. You're the exception. 
It won't happen to you like that. The illustration I give my students is this. You know, you're the exception. You can text and drive. <laughs> right? Of course, every time Becky's doing this to me. You can text and drive. You're the exception. You don't need to do anything about that now. You can wait. Just keep texting and driving. You don't, don't worry about the opportunities. Right? Just, just go on. See, wait and you're the exception. You, you don't have to be concerned about this. You, you don't have to be alert to this. And Jesus seems to me to be shining the light on this, that you need to do this now. You need to believe Him now. You, you need to make the step now. Where I'm going, you can't come. And when I, am, when I leave, you won't be able to go. That's heaven, obviously, right now. He's discussing. So the notion here has to do with opportunity. I wonder if any of us, I do, I'm sure others do, have this understanding that there are opportunities we have today to believe Jesus, to trust Him, to look to Him that we don't take advantage of. Ever happened to you? To where we have these opportunities, these privileges to, to believe in Jesus, to trust Him, to, to walk with Him that, that we, don't, we don't take. And again, maybe we think we have more time. Maybe we just think that, that there's more to it than, than, we, uh, than we have to worry about or be concerned about. What opportunities here? Jesus says, I'm He. Do you believe me? I'm Him. A great statement was made the other night by Leslie Newbegin. Or a guy, not, he wasn't there. A guy quoted him. Of course, you probably don't know Leslie Newbegin. I could say Leslie Newbegin was there. Anyway, Leslie Newbegin made this statement that God has done everything that we need for our salvation and life. It's now up to us to respond. It's now us to respond. And I was working with this word the other day about opportunity and, and believing. Could you, know, you hear people say, well, that, you know, we have a responsibility to follow Jesus and to believe Him. You know what? I, I start taking that word apart. What is your response ability? Think about that word. What is your response ability? What do you have the ability to respond to because of the grace of God. These people have the response ability to believe and trust in Jesus. They have enough information. They've seen what He's done. They have a response. Is that, is that getting across? You understand how I'm taking that word apart? A response. What's your response ability? You have the ability to respond to Jesus, to trust, to believe, to rely on Him because of what He's done. And so He's saying, you know, you, you, you need to believe now, not later. You need to trust now, not later. That unless you believe, you'll die in your sins. So they were saying to Him, where are you going? What I've been saying to you from the beginning, He says. From the very beginning. I have many things to speak to you concerning, uh, to, about you, but He who sent me is true, and the things which I've heard from Him, I speak to the world. They did not realize, notice that, they did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. What? They missed the opportunity. So here, here's the question for us, if you mind. What if this week you took, and I took, the opportunity to tell someone, a follower of Jesus or not a follower of Jesus, who we believe Jesus to be? I, I think it's interesting. If you're having trouble with the opportunities you have to, to, to believe in Jesus yourself or to talk to others, you know what, you, we, we ought to practice on other believers. How about that? You know, they're going to smile at you. They love Jesus too. 
But what if we took the opportunity this week, the responsibility we have, to talk to someone, either a follower of Jesus, who we believe Jesus to be? Do you believe what he's saying here? I am he. You looking for anybody else? You looking for anybody else? I'll tell you one thing that happened this week, and I was talking with a friend. This whole idea of responding to him. I think I told you this, but it probably bears repeating. When my dad died about a year and three or four months ago, uh, I had never been with a person who died my entire life in all my years of ministry. Never had been. And it was fairly traumatic, as you can imagine, you know, that my dad is dying. And the last words he said to me, I had been, every time we sing, uh, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Those are some of the last words I ever said to my dad. I love that song, but every time we sing it at church, it puts a little shudder in my soul. It reminds me of that opportunity I had with my dad and my dad's faith and confidence in Jesus and his word. So every time I hear it, but as we were there and, and I began to watch him slip away. And maybe you've seen this before and you've been in these situations, but I never had been. And being my dad, I was the only one there. My mom was another place or another part of the house and it began to happen very quickly. Um, it rattled me. And I remember a few days after that, after the funeral, I th thought, am I going to see my dad again? Am, I mean, really, you know, am I going to see him again? I'm, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm happy for people that have such confidence about heaven and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm happy for you. I, I wish I was at times like that. But I ask those kind of questions. You know, am I going to see him again? Where is he? Is he doing anything? You know, he's eating off of somebody's plate if he's anywhere around. <laughs> My dad had no shame to eat off anybody. I'm telling you, if the marriage feast of the lamb, I promise you, don't sit by him. <laughs> really. Really. I was, ah, take, Dad, that's somebody. Well, they don't mind if I, you know. Anyway, <laughs> he was a great guy. But I remember several days there just by myself. I wasn't talking to Becky or anybody. I was kind of processing this myself. Everybody's kind of got to do it on their own. And I remember driving to my early morning Bible study on Friday morning that I've done for 23 years. And as I'm driving, um, I just came to this. With all the theology and all the arguments and all the questions that I have, I came to this. I believe He... Jesus is the Son of God, and He would never lie to me. I believe that you are Him. That's what He said. You, unless you believe that I am He. I got all kind of questions about the afterlife. I don't want to trouble you. I don't want to bother you about that. I don't want to frighten you about that because I, I have all kinds of questions about exactly what. I don't know. I, I, I don't know all that. But I know this. That I've had the opportunity in my life to say, I believe that you are Him. And that's it. 
And I went to my Bible study that morning, and I told them, those guys that were there, I said, I, I told them the same story. I've been struggling with this. I've been going through it. But let me tell you something. I've come to this. I'm going to take the opportunity to say and believe and understand, and I'm not going to wait on this. I'm not going to go later on it. I'm going to say, Jesus is who He said He was, and I'm betting the farm on it. Pascal, you know, that great French mathematician who was trying to talk to intellectuals about faith, defined it as a bet. I know for some of us good Christian people in Baptist background, that's unnerving, isn't it? I'm supposed to bet. I don't bet, I covenant. I make a covenant with you. hundred bucks. Changes the whole thing. Right? We're just going to enter into a covenant that I hope I win. <laughs> you know? That... That this, this whole idea of, of, of betting, he's it. Pascal made this observation, and, and, and this is what these guys are doing. You know, they want to keep talking about stuff. They want to keep arguing, and Jesus says, look, unless you believe I'm it, this is your opportunity. This is it. Take it. Unless you believe I am he, you'll die in your sins. What, what, what if... What if we said this week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take that opportunity to say to somebody, that, that's when we know it, that, we believe, that, that I, I believe you are Him. Now, as usual, I'm, I'm sorry, guys, I, I got too tied up on a couple of things. Ne- next week, we're going to deal with something. I, I want to I prepare you for this, because this is going to be a big one. Jesus is going to shine the light on the greatest problem human beings have. And you may already know that, is sin. In fact, I think in 8 and 9, the two huge issues that the light of the world is shining on is sin and suffering. Next week, we're going to look at, okay, what does Jesus shine the light on about sin? If you want to read it, you can start. It starts at 31. And Jesus is going to shine the light on this huge issue that we all face. Is He your light? Is He the light you're following? Is He what lights your light up? Is He what you're following as the light of the world? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we believe You are the light of the world. That, that You can help us to understand how we go through life without being judgmental. That we can, that, that we can understand that there's more to it than we, what we see. And that we know for a fact that we have the opportunity, these guys had it, we have it, to believe that You are He. That You're the One. And that we can follow you and trust you and have that confidence that you are the one and live our lives with that light shining in us. I pray this week you'd give us the grace and the strength to let your light shine in us and then let our light shine that we may glorify you in all that we do. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.